This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindari Wall. And welcome to The Loop. been another busy week. I don't know, I Min, mean, if you noticed, but there's a federal election going on. There is. All, <laughs> we're getting bombarded from all over. I was driving, you know, dropped off the kid at school today and I saw an ad on a, a, a bus stop, like yeah. a bus seat. Someone smiling and saying, re-elect me. So, and that everywhere. was a municipal election. But yeah, federal election it's, is... There's signs everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of signs. But I feel like... Stuff going on. Even though there is a municipal election going on here in right. Edmonton, in, in Alberta, it still feels like it's all COVID 19, right? Yeah, it is all COVID 19. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, federal election is certainly going on. And then afterwards, I think people focus on uh, the municipal election. But yeah, and the focus on COVID is daily. It's nuts. I mean, this week we passed 15,000 active cases mm-hmm. in the province. Alberta's leading the country on daily new COVID cases and active cases. But things are yeah. going ahead, right? Like you got the kids back to school this yeah. week and the province still feels very open for business. And I yeah. I think it feels weird to me, um, you know, I, seeing all the headlines, but not actually seeing a ton of government reaction. Yeah, well, that, that's been kind of like the daily, uh, you know, issue yeah. is what is the government going to say and where's Kenny and, and all of that and he eventually came back and resurfaced so it was good to hear from him and um, yeah you know school is back the kids are riding the bus they're wearing masks in class Yeah, uh, they're wearing masks at school and um, you know uh, as a person who is vaxxed I, I mean I, I I feel going into stores and going out and doing living normal normally mm-hmm. I, I mean I, I feel a little bit reassured because I have yeah, got it's like the vaccine and, the and I've extra. got the mask. It's a little, it's a buffer, Yeah. Uh, whether you want to believe that or not. But for me, in my head, I, I feel like I have yeah. uh, a little bit of a buffer here. And so, uh, and I, I even know some people who have uh, gotten it uh, with the double vaccination and, um, you know, the symptoms weren't quite as bad. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I shudder to think maybe what, what it would have been like for them had they not got the vaccine. Um, and, you know, I'd rather not know. Uh, to be quite honest. So yeah. um, so that is definitely out there. There's both of those schools of thoughts and they are bombarding you where, wherever <laughs> and everywhere uh, you are You can't right now. escape you the COVID conversation. Oh, you cannot. Um, but as of right now, there's no kind of official plans in place in the province for a, a vaccine passport right. or proof of vaccination, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, we are seeing people starting to call for it, though. I mean, businesses, restaurants, sure. the Citadel Theater put yeah. out a notice saying that they're going to start asking for proof of vaccination. Um, but it feels like that's still something that we're kind of yeah. having in our own conversations. I don't know. Have you been anywhere yet that you've been asked for it? or I have not. No. no? I went and picked up some food uh, from a restaurant yesterday and uh, no, they didn't ask me if I'd been vaccinated. And uh, I, although I did have to wear a mask when I walked in. Mm-hmm. and um, But but I can see it from their point of view. I mean, I don't run a business, but yeah. I know people who have run a business and the last 20 months have been an absolute nightmare uh, ride right into the ditch, and then they're trying to bring that back out of the ditch, and it's and it's and it's hard right now. And this, I think, for them might be some peace of mind and a way to maybe avoid going back into the ditch. Right? Yeah. Is if they can kind of control uh, the situation at their business. Exactly. It's something to do. Right. Yeah. It's an action that I think feels like a tangible thing that maybe some businesses can jump on, even if the province isn't putting in rules or well, anything that's yet. And then that's, this is the reaction to that because, yeah. you know, in other provinces we have seen, uh, whether it is a vaccine passport or there are these rules that are set in 
and uh, put in place. Uh, we haven't seen that, so now the onus is on them, just like the onus is on some different school boards to, uh, you know, uh, ask the kids to be masked or not be masked mm-hmm. or leave it up to the parents or leave it up to the kids. Yeah, right? and it's interesting, too, because the province has decided to put in their own new measures. Right. For rising cases. It's not what we've seen before. It's not what we're seeing anywhere else, actually. It's a very unique to Alberta answer. Um, <laughs> 100 bucks yeah. per dose for those who haven't got their shot. Um, I guess anything we can do to get more people vaccinated is good. Like, it seems kind of silly that we have to go to these kind of measures, but more vaccines can't be a good thing. So, or, sorry, is, <laughs> is a good thing. It's what we want. So, yeah. Well, my reaction is, what about the people that are already vaccinated? Do we get a $200? Because I have two shots. Do I get $100 per shot? I don't. Then that that doesn't make sense to me, that you're giving an incentive to people that haven't really done anything in the beginning, and now you're just giving them $100 to try to promote them to get it? doesn't make sense to me. I kind of in agreement with exactly what you said. So we were already talking about this earlier. Yeah. it's the same thing. The people that get it done, they're not being rewarded. And the people that aren't getting it done, they're getting this reward. And it's uh, kind of a kick, a kick in the face for the people that have been out there following all the rules, trying to do their part to subside this pandemic. And we're not seeing any kind of, I don't know, feedback from the government at all on doing a good job or anything. So it's my take on it. I just think you already held the lottery, so... What's the point of an extra $100 if you didn't entice them with the lottery and all the other incentives? How, how far do you go? What's, what's the limit? Where do you stop? I don't know. If they want to fix the problem, I think the, the way to go is this passport thing, right? Limiting what people can and can't do, whether or not you, they have the vaccine. I think you'll see more positive results of people wanting to, well, I better go get the vaccine so that I can go to a restaurant or I can go to a movie yeah, theater. Yeah. And it might not just be you, it's your other family members or friends that are going to do this and you're kind of left out because you haven't gotten the vaccine or you're not participating in the whole process. Cash incentives don't work. Pretty sure there's studies about that showing that cash incentives don't work. It seems like a waste of time. Alberta government trying to What's the term? They're grasping for straws, trying to get people vaccinated when they should have taken action months ago, if not years ago. You know, try to better inform the people, tell them that effectively you're ignorant. You don't know what's good for you, what's not good for you. And if you think that vaccines are going to cause this, that or the other thing, then maybe you should worry about what COVID might cause down the line. Because, I mean, at the very least, we don't know what long term effects might uh, result from COVID. So, yeah, I think no it just doesn't make sense at this point they're like 10 months too late with incentivizing people it's just alberta government trying to say hey we did something when in reality they did nothing that's what edmontonians are saying about the new hundred dollar debit card being offered to albertans over 18 to get vaccinated against covid19 premier jason kenney and health minister tyler chandra made their first public press conference in weeks to announce the cash incentive but do these kinds of programs actually work So far, it hasn't seemed to move the needle, but could things like lotteries and cash sums combat the rapid rise of COVID-19 in the province? Well, CBC's Stephanie Dubois looked into this, specifically at the province's vaccine lottery launched earlier this year. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, Claire. So hit me. Um, Did the vaccine lottery work? Uh, Okay, so 
Some doctors told me the answer is not really, because the lottery didn't provide that boost to first dose vaccines that the province was hoping for. And so doctors say these incentives like the lottery or the $100 gift cards like we just heard about announced last week aren't enough to boost vaccination rates and encourage people to get the shot. What was interesting was when I put the daily vaccine rates into a beautiful little graph <laughs> is we did see an increase in first dose rates after the $3 million lottery was announced in June. And we saw a bit of a jump when the travel prizes were announced as well. But by mid-July, as more private prizes were being added, those first dose numbers had largely plateaued. Hmm. I mean, speaking of vaccinations, looking at right now, how are we actually doing as a province? So short answer is not great. Uh, we <laughs> still have the lowest percentage of our eligible population with a first dose of the vaccine in the whole country. So not a great scenario to be in. Yeah. I, I mean, looking at the lottery, there clearly was some research that led to the province choosing that method. So what actually happened there? Why did we end up with that? Yeah. So when Premier Jason Kenney and Health Minister Tyler Shandro were discussing the details of the lottery back in June, they both brought up Ohio's vaccine lottery. Now, Ohio was the first U.S. state to bring in a vaccine lottery. And early on, it was considered a huge success. Their vaccine rates went up after bringing in the lottery. So people thought it was a great example. So they, uh, you know, other states, provinces introduced a lottery as well. And Shandro even said that the early evidence showed increased vaccination rates. But in July, weeks after Alberta brought in its lottery, a study published in the medical journal JAMA Network said there was, quote, no evidence found to show that the Ohio lottery-based incentive was associated with increased rates of adult COVID-19 vaccinations. And the study's authors also noted an uptick in vaccine rates happened in other states without a lottery and that the uptick coincided with when 12 to 15-year-olds became eligible for the Pfizer-BioNTech Pfizer vaccine. So basically, we just maybe jumped on that train a bit early. <laughs> yeah, and it, it seems like, you know, there was both positives that were coming out of it initially. But uh, yeah, I think it was too soon to be told if it, it was actually effective. Yeah, we were a bit eager for that. But now mm -hmm. we have this $100 debit card incentive. So um, mm -hmm. that was announced Friday. What's the premier said to criticism? You know, when Kenny announced it on Friday, he said basically they tried the lottery and it helped a bit. And he said that they were going to try the $100 gift cards and, quote, we don't know if it will work or not. He also said on Friday last week that this new incentive is cheaper than the cost of COVID-19 hospitalizations, with the gift cards costing taxpayers roughly $20 million, according to Kenny. I mean, so lotteries, debit cards, cash money. Um, if these incentives don't work, what are experts asking for from the province? Mm -hmm. So the doctors I talk to say a vaccine passport or stronger restrictions on access to public spaces for the unvaccinated are needed. I spoke to Dr. Stephanie Smith, who is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta Hospital, and she said she's not sure individual incentives will make a huge difference for people in the province. For the most part, many doctors are asking for a vaccine passport instead. Uh, Dr. Shazir Karmali is another doctor I spoke to. He's a general surgeon at the Royal Alexandra Hospital. And he said that other provinces and countries have introduced a vaccine passport. And the idea is that if you're unvaccinated, there's limited access to public spaces, you know, different parts of society. And he says this is kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. I mean, we have seen vaccine passports and this idea of proof mm -hmm. of vaccination be introduced. But it, I mean, it's still pretty new. So do we know that it's actually going to work and not just so a, a slight bump like the lottery did? 
Yeah, so there's several provinces, you know, Quebec, um, BC, though most recently brought in their card uh, this week. And the government said there that they saw a massive increase in interest in the COVID-19 vaccine after they announced the program. Though there's not a ton of Canadian data yet, as many provinces, you know, are just rolling them out. They're just getting them started. But what we have heard is they make a difference. And Smith at the University of Alberta Hospital says, you know, Alberta should take note because there is a much stronger indicator that a vaccine passport is effective compared to incentivizing people with gift cards or lotteries. I mean, my hope is that if we do have some kind of vaccination card, it uses the same language as those pieces of paper we got that said you're complete. You know, mm-hmm. like I would love to have a card that says I'm complete, right? Yeah, like a little check mark or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just Gold as star. proof. I can show my mom I'm complete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this, Steph. Thanks, Steph. If you were driving by Winterburn Road recently, you may have seen a teepee and a group of people gathered just by the Costco that's on Enoch Cree Nation land. The teepee is now gone, but the people are still there. And CBC Edmonton's Liam Harrop spent some time meeting them. Hey, Liam. Hello. So who is this group and why are they there? So it was a group of Indigenous people and they'd actually spent 50 days outside the Charles Council Indian Hospital. Um, And then after some time, they actually changed locations to this Winterburn Road. And the reason why they chose this location is because um, a lot of the bodies from the hospital were taken to this location and and it's on Enoch Cree Nation land. And right behind the group, there was a little graveyard. And so what happened while you were out visiting? So I was there for most of the day. (laughs) And uh, they actually had a graveyard feast that day, which I had never taken part in before. And... um, So during it, I wasn't allowed to record anything because that um, can mess with the energy in in the ceremony. And so how it it takes place is people come with food and they dish out the food to everyone there and you're not allowed to say no. So I had about several plates of food (laughs) (laughs) and you eat what you can. And uh, the people that had been to one before, they had actually brought Tupperware and so they brought the food they couldn't eat home, and then the food that was left is poured onto the fire, and it's for ancestors and the people in the graveyard. Wow. What was that like to be a part of? It was really neat. Like I said, yeah. never been to one before. Um, it was it was also quite special because it was the first time in a couple years they had been able to do this because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it was great just because there was a lot of chatting, so you got to hear a lot of stories. Um and it was just quite social. I got to try a pemi for the first time. What's which, pemi? So pemi is berries and lard mixed together. Oh, mm-hmm. what was that like? Um, it, I could feel it had a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> Not something you normally reach for. No, but, but I'm like, oh, this would be great. Like now I can go run a marathon yeah. or something. Like I've got, I've got the calories. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, like so it was people from all, all over came. Uh, so I understand, too, that there's a story that you saw on Facebook, actually, mm-hmm. that uh, kind of really sums up what their hope is by being there. Yeah. So their their hope is to raise awareness about residential schools and unmarked graves. Um, and they, they do actually have a Facebook group. It's called Free Our Indigenous Children. And uh, one of the posts recently, it was just this last week, actually, um, where they said there was uh, a lady who came from Wabasca to to this spot. And she shared a story that when she was two, her older brother caught pneumonia and was taken to hospital and he never returned. And they never heard 
where he was buried or where he went. And it was only recently um, that she learned it was actually in that grave on Winterburn Road on Enoch Land where his body was taken. And that was 60 years ago. So it took her 60 years to find out where her, her, her brother. Wow. Yeah. It's a powerful gathering. It is. And so uh, I think they're having a lot of people come by and share these stories, Mm -hmm. not only to learn more about residential schools and unmarked graves, but also to share their own personal experiences. So I think they're getting a lot of people coming by and sharing their own personal stories about what has happened in their past and to get people just to listen. I stand in the east and I give an offering. What we're doing is we're parting the veil and we're offering a feast to the children that they didn't get good things in life. Sometimes for breakfast they had porridge and it was mixed with sawdust. So having a feast like this with vitamins and nutrients, we're giving them what they didn't have as children in residential school and we're honoring them now. Firekeeper Lindsay Bredner pours leftover food onto a fire outside a teepee. It's part of a graveyard feast honoring their ancestors. It'll get really ragey and you'll hear it. A group of indigenous people sit outside a teepee on Winterburn Road. They are on Enoch Cree Nation land. Behind them is a graveyard with several headstones. They recently moved to this location from outside the former Charles Camsell Indian Hospital. Andrea Jenkins is one of the group's organizers. And I remember when I was younger, you know, as young as five years old, listening to my grandparents talk about these things that had gone on at the hospital. The sexual abuse that was done on children, people who don't know say, oh, no way that didn't happen. There's way too many people who have similar stories for it not to be true. And so we just thought it was important that, you know, something that was originally going to be one day ended up being 50 days at Charles Council um, to bring that awareness. And once the 50 days was, were done, we took a week off and we thought, you know what, I think we need to keep going because the negativity towards Indigenous people, the lack of understanding, the lack of compassion um, with these children who were recently found at residential schools. Uh, so right now we're currently located on Enoch land uh, on Winterbourne Road, right in front of the cemetery, one of the cemeteries out here. And uh, the reason being is that because there is a connection with this burial site to Charles Council, a lot of the bodies, you know, the children, um, the elders, the adults were brought here and buried from Charles Council. While the group tries to raise awareness about residential schools, the province has decided not to implement the new federal statutory holiday on September 30th, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. I did hear about that. Um, I, I was angry. It's basically brushing everything that anyone in Canada has done, you know, to bring that awareness, to show their support, uh, to put it out in public, you know, to be acknowledged, I feel like that's a slap in the face by the government. Lorelai Mullings is another organizer. She is also sleeping in the teepee. She introduces herself by her Cree name. My name is Kihu Miguanasquel. That's Eagle Feather Woman. So in the spirit world, I'm known as Eagle Feather Woman. 
getting a lot of people coming by. I had a lady come up to me from Montreal, came all the way to find find us today, and she said, sorry. She asked me what, what tribe I was from. I said, I'm Cree. And she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, thank you. You know, um, people like that are opening their eyes. Lorelai says it's been hard camping outside the Charles Camsell Indian Hospital and on Winterburn Road. But it's important to her, so she's made the time. We all have careers. We all have family. But just like these people that died, they had a family too. So who I'm working for is creator and for those people. I'm just a messenger. I was sent as a messenger to do this job. No one told me, no one, no one paid me to do this. I'm doing this out, out of my heart because I believe that I'm a voice and if I can help and make friends and make allies to do some good work and not be asked for anything, just be asked to, to be heard, that's it. That's all I want. You know, we're very welcoming um, people. And you, you can learn from us. That's, that's what Europeans did a long time ago. I don't think they could have survived. <laughs> I don't think so. But we, we worked together. You know, that's what happened. We taught them how to, we survived here. And they had all these tools that helped us to make it easier for us. Right? So we need to, to work together. 15-year-old Ocean Sobe is also sleeping in the teepee. Most of my family were 60 Scoop and residential school survivors. And growing up, you know, I had my own experiences as a kid. So does my brothers and my sisters. And it is hard on them. I grew up not liking who I was. But I learned to love myself. Organizer Andrea Jenkins believes raising awareness and providing education is key for reconciliation. As an Indigenous person, as an Indigenous woman, you know, I've seen a lot of racism and it hurts. It hurts because of the lack of understanding, uh, the stigmatism that goes with being an Indigenous person. You know, uneducated, you get everything for free, oh, you're just a bunch of drunks, go back to the res. There's many of us, you know, people need to understand there's First Nations Inuit and Métis. There's many of us who've never lived on the res reservation. So the mindset of people who don't know or don't understand, that needs to change. And that's why we're here. If you have questions, stop by and ask us. The TPE will soon come down. But for now, someone will be there Tuesday to Saturday evening to answer the public's questions and raise awareness. It's located on Winterburn Road across from Costco on Enoch Cree Nation land. After September 29th, the group say they may continue. There are plans for people to start camping at 199th Street near the Hende, where it's believed there are numerous unmarked Indigenous, Métis and Inuit children's graves from the Charles Camsell Indian Hospital. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. 
And I'm Claire Bonnieman. Thank you, as always, for listening. You can always get in touch and join us every Friday. Mm-hmm. We always come out, have a new show. Um, also, yeah, let us know what you think. Give us a rating or a review wherever you download. Yeah, definitely. And if you want to get in touch, uh, we have an email, loop at cbc.ca. Use hashtag TheLoopCBC on social media or reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Min Dariwal. And what's my handle, Min? Nabby. No. No. Nammy Knob. Nabby Knob. It's my last name. Nammy Knob. Every I should know that by now. Uh, And of course, (laughs) follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.